So this is lesson 20 in the study of Romans, and we've made it to chapter 8, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> chapter 8, but chapter 8 is really a summation of what he said thus far. Chapter 8 has to be one of the favorite books in the entire Bible for followers of Yeshua. At least it is for me, I love this chapter. From the very first words, you receive this comfort and reassurance of God's love for you. I want you to just listen to this. Lean back in your chair and just feel the warmth and the love of God given by, this is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul and it says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Isn't that wonderful? You see, the consequences of our sin are condemnation. And of course, condemnation is death. We saw that in chapter 6. For those who are in Messiah, there is no condemnation, so there is no death in the eternal sense. Yeshua has taken away the penalty. Remember what it said in chapter 6, verse 23. It said, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. For we who are in Messiah Yeshua, there is no condemnation, no death. You've been reunited with the eternal God and Creator, and that's good news. And let me say this. You know, at Sar Shalom, we used to do a lot of topical studies. You can go down to the bookstore and you can find topical studies on all kinds of topics. Marriage, festivals, walking in the Spirit, on and on. And the fact is, in most churches, the sermons they do and the Bible studies they do are topical studies. And if done well, they can be good, right? But if you notice the last few years, I haven't been doing any topical studies. I've forsaken topical studies for going through the Bible verse by verse. We've been through the uh, books of Moses, the Torah, the law. We've been through Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, on and on and on. Matthew. And the reason is the only way to really study the Bible is verse by verse and then even word by word. Every word is important. Now, if you listen to many topical studies, what you find is they're often going to take a verse, a verse or two out of Romans, then a verse out of Matthew, then a couple verses out of Acts, all to prove whatever the pastor wants to prove. The problem is, when they're taken out of context, often verses' meanings is changed from the intended meaning. You know, leaving just one word out can change the entire meaning of a passage. And today, we're going to look at that very point. I want to put Romans 8 back up there for a moment, and I want you to notice that I left something out of the verse. Notice that there's three dots between the number and the first word which is there. And that indicates, of course, we should all know that something's been omitted. And I did that because that's the way you hear the verse quoted most often, without that first word. Right? How many times have you heard someone say, don't judge me because there's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, Jesus Christ. You see, even 
If taken in context, those are wonderful words, but they're also, if they're taken out of context, a great ally of the sinful nature. You know, we spoke about the hyper-grace teachers a while back, and I want to uh, read a section, another section from Joseph Prince's book, uh, Destined to Reign. And I want you to notice he leaves out the very same word. Listen to what it says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. This is a powerful verse. I encourage you to commit this verse to memory, for it, with it you can repel all the accuser's attacks. Are you in Jesus Christ today? Yes. Then there is no condemnation over your life. If you are in Jesus Christ today, there is no condemnation over your life. That's it, my friend. No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, period. There is no conditions, no prerequisites. It's all about Jesus' finished work and none of man's efforts. Hallelujah. That's what he wrote. And I tried to put the emphasis in the text the same way he did. Same caps where he put caps, italics where he put italics, and bold where he put bold. And what I want you to see is this, that in his commentary, he left out the same word that I left out when we started out. Therefore. He says, there is no condemnation, just as I did above, but it should read this way. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Notice our word, therefore. That word refers what Paul is about to say back to the previous chapters. And more than that, it says that what follows, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, is the result of what he said before. In other words, it says because of what his letter has taught thus far, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. But in Joseph Prince's commentary, there's no emphasis on the therefore, which refers back to chapter 7. And nothing about what follows in chapter 8. Just forget that word and the rest of the chapter, and let's focus on no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. But I want you to know that one word changes the whole verse. Prince says there's no prerequisites. But the therefore in the verse is a prerequisite. And the prerequisite is stated in the previous chapters. Therefore joins the statement with those previous chapters. So now you can see how just one word can change the entire meaning of a verse. And how pulling a verse out of context, you can get it to mean what you want it to mean. Not only that, but you can see how leaving this one word out would give people a license to sin. If there are no conditions, as he says, and no prerequisites, just no condemnation, if I were to read Joseph Prince's book as someone who had never studied the Bible, never read and studied the Bible, who was still caught up in my sin nature, and sin, my sin nature is running wild, I would think, oh well, it's all right, because in Jesus Christ, I'm not condemned. And reading Joseph Prince's book, I would be convinced. But that's not according to Paul. That's not what Paul said. Let me be the first to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, but there's a reason, and the reason goes back to the previous chapters. 
Now I want to read, there's variations of this book. I'm going to read it out of the variations of this verse. I'm going to go back to the King James. I want to see how it reads. It says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Messiah Yeshua, who walk not after the sin nature, but after the spirit. And what I want you to notice is that the King James adds to this verse, who walk not after the sin nature or the flesh, but after the spirit. That's the way it reads in the King James, the New King James, the Young Literal, Tyndale's translation. And the reason is those versions take their translations from the Texas Receptus, Greek manuscript. And what I want you to note is those first two words there, notice I left them in italics. In italics, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I want to read what Joseph says about this verse now in his book. That's how it appears in your new King James Bible, right? But do you know that the last part, who do not walk according to the flesh, but after the Spirit was added by Bible translators and does not appear in the original Greek manuscripts? It's almost as if the translators could not believe the declaration of no condemnation comes without any conditions. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Well, I don't take anybody's word for anything, so I did check it out for myself. And I can tell you it wasn't added by the translators. If it had been, it would be in italics like there is. Because when you see words in italics in the King James or the New King James, it means they were added by the translator. The phrase is not the error of a translator. It's actually the work of early scribes who copied Greek manuscripts and, when, which, and the one which came from the Texas Receptus Greek manuscript. And that's a small point. Maybe Joseph meant scribes and didn't mean translators. But here's what I believe the early scribes did, realizing that Paul's declaration might be misunderstood or taken out of context, as Joseph has done, and not wanting people to go down the wrong path, they took a phrase from verse 4 and added it up here to verse 1. Because if you read verse 4, you see the same thing. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So the early scribes thinking, you know, someone's going to take this out of context and allow their sin natures to run wild, took the qualifier from the fourth verse and added it up here closer to the statement in the first. But look, I'm not going to quibble about it. Being a scribe or a translator, that's small potatoes. Maybe a mistake on Prince's part. And I don't mean to pick apart Prince. I'm sure he's a very sincere man, just misguided. But you need to see, this is how people are led astray by the words of Paul. It's not Paul's words that lead people astray. It's what preachers do to Paul's words that leads people astray. You need to see, this is how people are led astray. Preachers leave off what they want to prove their point take verses out of context and generally butcher Paul's letters to say whatever their imaginations would like them to say and whatever the tickling ears of their congregants want to hear. There's no reason to quibble over this change because I'm going to tell you it makes no difference because the word therefore does the same thing. It's there for the same reason. It does the same thing. It takes you back to chapter 7 and his condemnation of sin and the sin nature. You see, the very point of chapter 6 and 7 was, remember, 
Walk by the Spirit and not after the flesh. That was the whole point of those chapters. Listen to what Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 7. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my, my, my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Yeshua our Lord. So then in my mind, with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. Who rescued Paul from the sin nature and the wretched man he was while he was under that sin nature's control the Messiah Yeshua his new master Paul kept the Torah flawlessly remember we looked at a verse where he said in his former life as for legalistic righteousness faultless and yet he tells us now here that he's a wretch and a sinner until Messiah rescued him and gave him the Spirit of God. That word, therefore, referring back to chapter 7, is in perfect agreement with that statement in verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, the scribes actually did people a favor by making sure they understood you see, the other prerequisite in this verse, there's another prerequisite that he missed in this verse. And that is, in Messiah. It says, for those who are in Messiah, that's a, pre that's a prerequisite. Over and over, Joseph says, are you in Messiah today? Let's read about being in Messiah. What exactly does it mean to be in Messiah? And see if we are in Messiah the Bible tells us what it means to be a Messiah. Remember, in the early chapters, I said, you're going to get tired of hearing Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Well, here we go again. Let's listen. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul tells us we were created in Messiah to do good works. And where do you find good works? You find them in the law of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are good works. Can the flesh do good works? Well, no, it can't. Paul told us in chapter 7 it was the reason he was a wretched man. He couldn't do it in the flesh. The good he wanted to do, he could not do. Well, Messiah saved him from that so that he could be in Messiah and do the good works that God had prepared in advance for him to do. So the first qualifier for being in Messiah is that those in Messiah do good works. Let's see what John says about being in Messiah. John says this in chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law, God's law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You see, if you're in Messiah, you do not sin. You do not transgress God's law. 
but you do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And if you do sin unrepentantly, then you're not in Messiah because in Him is no sin. So if you do sin, then you'd better turn from your ways and return to Messiah because in Messiah there is no sin. So yes, there is no condemnation, no permanent death for those who are in Messiah because in Him is no sin to condemn them. No one in Him keeps on sinning. If there's no sin, there's no condemnation. Paul told us this in, in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. There's our word therefore again. Paul says, Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Messiah. And with that word therefore, which refers us to what he's about to say, he says, in other, he says this, in other words, what he's saying is, in Messiah, you will not let sin reign in your mortal bodies because you are in Messiah created to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You are dead to your sin nature. Let me tell you in a nutshell what Paul is saying. And really, if you just focus on this one word, therefore, and where it's used, you can come really quickly to what Paul is saying in these first eight chapters. In chapter 5, he summed up the first four chapters for us. Remember? In verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, by whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's our word, therefore, again referring us back to the first four chapters. And also it transitions us to the next chapters, five through seven. Therefore, we have been justified. In other words, we have been declared righteous by our faith in Messiah Yeshua. Remember that little parable I told you in the early chapters? Let me repeat it. One day, you're going to stand before the judge... And the accuser is going, to give off, is going to list off a list of your violations of God's law. And Yeshua is going to say to the judge, those transgressions were covered by me in 30 common years. I died. I paid the debt for those transgressions. This man is now my servant, and I would have you release him to me. In other words, we have been justified before God. When he looks at you, he's going to see Messiah Yeshua advocating for you. And then he says, transitioning us into the next chapters on sanctifications, he says that we have gained access by that same faith into the grace in which we now stand. And remember, according to Strong's and Thayer's lexicons, that means, what does it mean? It means the divine influence of God upon your heart and its reflection in your life. The grace of God leads you through life to become followers of Messiah Yeshua and in Him is no sin. So that Spirit's work is reflected in your life. Through the Spirit of God given us through the same faith, 
through which we have been justified by God, that grace now gives us victory over the sin nature, even as Messiah Yeshua had victory over the sin nature. Grace is not a license to sin, as you often hear. Grace is the power of God to keep you from sinning. Or we could say the power of God to reflect Messiah Yeshua in your life, through your actions. And it is to those truths that Paul says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua because through Messiah Yeshua the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit, what is that? It's the law of God lived out through the Spirit of God and that has set me free from the law of sin and death. And what is that? It is the law lived out not through the Spirit, <laughs> simply stated. And you can do that by just ignoring God's law, or you can do that even by living out God's law on your own strength and understanding, as Paul did before he met Yeshua on the road to Damascus. Because you yourself cannot live out the law of God. You cannot fulfill the law of God without the Spirit of God. If you could, Paul would not have called himself a wretched man. But in Messiah, the Spirit will give you the insight and the power to live victoriously over your sin nature. You see, it's simple. Paul stated in chapter 7 that we, like Paul, have been rescued from the wretched sinners that we were through Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua did this by giving us the Spirit of God to guide us into walking out and fulfilling the law of God. More simply stated, He changes us. Now, I want to just do something. Remember we talked about the New Covenant last week, and I read it for you. I want to combine this with what the New Covenant said last week. Listen to it. The Spirit of God guides us not in the old way of the Old Covenant because in Messiah, as Jeremiah said, no longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, know the Lord. Men teaching men is the old covenant. And as we saw last week, that never worked. Forty days after hearing, turning down, hearing the voice of God, the sin nature took over and Israel violated the very first command given them by God through their neighbor Moses. It won't work that way because God has now sent his son and through him our sins have been forgiven and now we have the leading of the spirit. So because of that, just as he promised through Jeremiah, they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will forgive their sin and wickedness. We know him because his spirit guides us and because we know him and because we have been given the spirit which leads us into life, he has, as Jeremiah says, put his law in our minds and written it on our hearts and he is our God and we are his people. That's the new covenant and that's what Paul is trying to tell these Romans. You see, that therefore refers back to saying of himself as a follower of Yeshua, he says, I do not understand what I do, for I do what I do not want to do, but I hate what I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but by myself I can't carry it out. You see, we like Paul, having read the laws of God, in our minds we all want to do the good that's written there. He told us in verse 12 that the law is holy, righteous, and good. We want to do that good, but we're unable to carry it out alone. The law is good, but alone we can't carry it out. That's why Paul says, I have the desire to do good. Is there anybody here who would not like to live out and fulfill God's law in their lives? Is there anyone here who would not like to love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind? Is there anybody here? Everybody? No? Well, then ask yourself, if that is what you with all your heart would want to do, why is it you don't do it? Why is it you kick yourself when you catch yourself doing what you know is not right? Why can't you just always do what is right and save yourself a few kicks in the butt? Well, it's because we are not led by the Spirit all of the time. But sometimes we're led by the flesh. That's why Paul tells the Ephesians this in chapter 6. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see, if you're not alert, if you're not being led by the Spirit, then as Paul said in verse 21 in chapter 7, the sin nature is right there with you, waiting for the moment that you're weak. Paul told the Ephesians how to have victory. And Yeshua gave us the recipe for victory as well. All we have to do is follow in the Master's footsteps and we'll have victory. What did Paul just say? He says, Take the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and keep in prayer at all times. When you use the word of God against the sin nature, you'll have victory over the sin nature. You know, I said, follow the master, Yeshua. He played this out for us in his life. Listen to what Matthew 4, verse 1 says. Then Yeshua was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I want, you, I want to ask you people a question today. Why would the Spirit lead Yeshua into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because the answer is really easy. So I could stand here and show you that the same battle is waged against you in the wilderness of this life each and every day. And that you would have a pattern for victory. Amen. So we have Yeshua being led by the Spirit. And what happens? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Yeshua answered, It is written, and it is written in the book of Deuteronomy, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
The adversary comes to him when he's weak from hunger and tempts him where he's weak. And since he's weak, you know the sin nature is strong. Well, you know, the sin nature does the same thing to you each and every day. The problem here is Yeshua is being led by the Spirit. We just read that. He's been fasting. He's been praying. And so what does he do? Well, he picks up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and he quotes the book of Deuteronomy and does what is good. He obeys the law of God, which is holy, righteous, and good. Let's read on. It says this in verse 5. And the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Yeshua answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Yeshua said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Each time Yeshua is tempted by the adversary, Yeshua defeats him. And his sin nature, Yeshua being led by the Spirit of God, seizes the sword of the Spirit, which is the law of God. And each time he quotes Deuteronomy and defeats the devil and his own sin nature. That's the pattern for you. That's the pattern for us, folks. Our master just showed us through, his, through the struggle in his own life how to, defeat, how to defeat our sin nature. And Paul tells us the same thing. We are at war. We're not at war against God's law. We're at war against our sin nature and the only way we're going to win is stay in prayer and be led by the Spirit and follow the law of God which is the sword of the Spirit. And if we do that, then, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. And so then he says next, in verse 3 of Romans 8, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did, by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. For what the law was powerless to do. We've talked about this. What was the law powerless to do? Well, first, we covered it in chapter 4. It could not justify you because that wasn't the reason it was given. What was the reason it was given? To expose sin, to identify sin. It was powerless to redeem you from your current sinful state, but only condemn you by showing you that it was sin. The other thing it could not do, the other thing that it could do was identify the one who could justify you and show you that you needed redemption because of your violations of God's law. You know, the whole of the law prophesies of the coming of Messiah Yeshua to do what he did. That it could do, but it could not keep you on a right path because of your sin nature controlling your actions. Remember, that's the moral of the exodus from Egypt. Without God, without hearing God, you couldn't, they couldn't keep the simplest of commands. Do not make gods of silver or gods of gold. It's the very first thing they did. So while the law could illuminate sin and condemn you for that sin, and it could also prophesy about redemption, 
That's all it could do. So God sent his son to do what it could not. Yeshua was the one who was prophesied in the law, and he's the one who could redeem man, and he did it by paying the wage of our sin. And he didn't stop there, though. He didn't stop there. Just as the new covenant said, then he wrote the laws of God on our heart. And through knowing God, through the spirit of God, we can now say no to sin. He slayed our sin nature with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And now we can walk as disciples of Messiah Yeshua. So why did he condemn sin and sinful man? Why did he make a way for us to die with him and also die to our sinful nature? Well, that's what verse 4 tells us. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, my God, my Savior, for you not only saved me, but you gave me strength to carry on in your salvation. You gave me new life in the Spirit so that I could fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Thank you, Master, for you teach me to walk as you walk, not according to the sinful nature, but not walking through life transgressing your Torah, but a life with the Spirit that fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. I can walk out the righteous requirements of the law, and that's good news. Read your Bibles, folks. We were once like the people of Sodom. We were once like those before the flood, and God loved us still. And while we were yet those wretches, while we were still sinners... Though we deserve to be destroyed, God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to redeem us. He sent his only son to die a horrible death on a stake at the hands of evil men so that one day, as you stood before the judgment of God, he could say, I forgive. Great news. But it doesn't stop there. Read a little farther. He He did not leave nor forsake us to fall again into the same despair. No, he gave us the spirit to lead us into all righteousness, to lead us to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law by not living according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Isn't that simple? And here's the great news of all of this. All you have to do to receive this amazing gift that leads to life with God is from your heart say, Lord, forgive me for not loving you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all the things that I have done to others. And he will forgive. That's the promise of Romans 1 through 4. But as long as you're confessing, don't just stop there. Say to, the, say to him this as well. You know, I made a mess out of my life and I want to follow you. Yeshua, though I'm not deserving, will you come into my life and lead me and teach me to be like you? And after you ask him, then start to read your Bible and pray. And if you do, he'll never leave nor forsake you. And that's the promise of Romans chapter 5 through 8. When you do that, Your life will never be the same. Not this life, nor the life after this. You'll be justified by your confession, and through his leading, you'll be sanctified. 
Amen.